Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Beach Ratty. I know it's the middle of the suburb, but fall is not that far away, and it might be time to load up on some of your favorite fall uh, accessories. I think the thing I'm wearing right now, I'm recording this in my basement, which gets very cold. I'm wearing the Russell Crew Neck sweatshirt made by B. Dratty. It is, I, I have two of these. They come in one color gray, but I have two of them. I like it so much. I would highly recommend that, getting that, and uh, getting it now before, you know, this is something that tends to run out of stock when, when the weather gets cooler. So stock up now, and the reason to do it now is the, the Brotherhood sale is going on on bdratty.com. You could use the code BROTHERHOOD30, and you'll get 30% off just about everything on that website. So go to BeatDraddy.com, use the code BROTHERHOOD30, and you'll get 30% off just about everything on that website. Today's episode, I am joined by the PGA's Chief Championships Officer, Kerry Haig. Obviously, he is renowned for his uh, setups at the PGA Championship, the KPMG Women's Championship, PGA Championship, as well as the Ryder Cup. So I talked to Carrie in detail about our first major, which is no more than 10 days away at this point. It is uh, going to be the PGA Championship at Harding Park in San Francisco. So we talk in detail about Harding Parks and setting up a major championship against the world's best players. Without further ado, here is Carrie Haig. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So I, I read you were a, a good player growing up. You were a scratch golfer. Was there a moment that killed any illusions you had of playing golf as a professional and, and you know, put you into the, uh, you know, you then pursued it golf as a profession, not a professional? Uh, yeah, I, as you said, I was a decent amateur player, but uh, I played junior golf in England and uh, but I loved other sports as well. So I played soccer, rugby, cricket, basketball, and I loved those team sports. So in truth, I didn't, you know, it's not like here where you literally give your whole life to a single sport. So then I got to, I played in a couple of national events and saw really how good, you know, the great players are. Uh, but I loved the game, totally, absolutely loved the game and wanted to sort of, work with the game and what better opportunity than to end up ultimately doing what I'm doing with the rules and the golf course setup and overseeing all of that championship. Yeah, that, let's let's talk about that. Obviously, the big news, you, we're going to be the the first major championship of the year, uh, first major championship back. Is there, do you feel any pressure with being the first major in this uh, post-corona, uh, you know, the coronavirus world, not post-coronavirus world? 
I wouldn't say necessarily pressure to be the first. Uh, obviously, we're excited that major championship golf is going to actually happen. Uh, and the fact that we are the first this calendar year is is nice, but certainly by no means, I think, does it bring extra pressure in that regard. I think we all have the continuing concern about the virus and, you know, still what, what what's happening today and every day it's something new that happens. So those concerns for people and the community uh, you know, from, from day one when the virus started in March has been, you know, priority number one. And the fact that we're able to host the major championship at Harding Park, uh, which we've looked forward to for many years, it, it is exciting in itself. Uh, even though there won't be any spectators. Talk about setting up. Obviously, you're renowned for your setup at the PGA. What are some of the maybe advantages or drawbacks to setting up without fans versus setting up with fans? I've been thinking about that. Actually, what I'll be doing the next two weeks is, in many ways, exactly the same as I do for every other championship, in that that's not going to change in terms of trying to, you know, bring out a fair, challenging, interesting, yet exciting golf course for the best players in the world. And although, you know, all, all that part of the championship remain 100% the same as it's always been. The, the, the biggest difference is what will be going on or not going on outside of the ropes and sort of how that affects the sort of play inside the ropes and the visual, what is seen by you know, the worldwide viewers inside the ropes on the telecast. But in terms of, you know, how we set it up, we'll look at all the same things we always do in terms of, you know, what the weather's going to be like and, you know, hopefully get the golf course into the, you know, the condition that will fairly test the best players in the world and make them think and uh, hopefully bring out the great excitement that we like to see at a PGA Championship. Yeah, you, when you signed uh, Harding Park on, obviously the PGA was still an August major, and then you you were it was going to be this May, and now you're back in August. Uh, how does the course uh, play differently in August versus that May May date that it was originally planned for? Yeah, that too has been interesting, as you say. Yeah, we, we've gone from August when we signed it to May uh, two years ago, and then back to August, the original, probably the original week that we could have been on or would have been on, but there's a lot of things that have happened in between. Uh, golf course-wise, one of the fortunate things in that regard is that San Francisco's climate is so generally temperate that it's not temperature-wise, conditioning-wise, should not be that much different in May than August. Uh, obviously, agronomically, we did what we had put on hold and we're not going to do in the spring with the May date, once we postponed and put it to August, we started to redo some of the, the, the agronomic practices in the spring when it was closed so that it can get through the summertime. Um, and that's been interesting. You know, they put the, the golf course was closed for five or six weeks immediately after the virus hit and then it was opened and was you know, full of play from dawn till dusk. And now this the, the past two weeks prior to the start of the championship, it will be closed again. So we've sort of gone through no play and it was in great condition in the spring. And then 
you know, full full tea sheet for 10, 11 weeks and now, or eight, eight or nine weeks, should I say, and now, you know, getting it back to pristine condition for, for next week. So um, we're a little less daylight. We had to adjust the starting times 15, 20 minutes or so because of the less daylight, but we're still hopeful it will play as we hoped it would play. And obviously, just like every championship, we're dependent on what the weather does, if the wind blows or not, or, you know, um, will affect how the golf course plays. Yeah, with that agronomic lead-up that you were talking about, how early are you starting to, you know, how long of a process is that? Is it is it a year or 18 months that you're planning agronomic events, whether it's, you know, punching greens or doing different adjustments to the the golf course in the lead up to a traditional, obviously this is not a normal situation, but in a normal situation, an ideal situation, what does that lead up process look like? Well, that's a great question. I think in this case, it's probably been about two years that we started to work. I started to work with the, uh, you know, the superintendent at Harding Park. Um, you know, they actually have three people in charge, Kevin Tian and Almar and Jeffrey, um, sort of combined as a, as a team. And we, we had uh, our original concept, well, what we did put into place was we wanted to adjust the fairways to bring into play some of the challenges of the golf course. So that is the bunkers and some of the penalty areas and bring the fairways a little closer or into both of those, which meant adjusting the contours of the fairways and how they were lined up. So 18 months ago, we actually sort of widened the side of the fairways that were going into these bunkers or closer to the penalty areas. And so all the guests for a year played with very wide fairways. Then in uh, 2019, we brought in the other side of the fairways and not only back to the original width, but in some cases a little narrower. So that, in effect, was a you know a year long long process to make that change, uh, and that, that's probably the biggest change we made. Uh, I think we did add three or four additional tees, uh, two of which were already in the plans that the club had, and a couple that were uh, thoughts that we came up with in our initial review of the golf course three years ago. So long process. Uh, and again, need, none of those changed with the date change. But to your point, the airifying of the greens and the top dressing and some of the practices we did with the fairways and the greens got readjusted because of the date change into August. With width and fairway width, like you were talking about, I'm interested to hear your perspective on, is there a width of fairways obviously contours and fairways grade of slope could be different that could make player uh, certain fairways play smaller but is there a general kind of magic number that you look at saying this wide of a fairway tests you know rewards an accurate tee shot while still allowing somebody to hit a driver say or you know where is there a magic number that you kind of like to look at uh year in year out 
Yeah, there really isn't. I think to your point, you, you really need to look at every individual hole and see sort of how it's designed, What the, you know, if it's a dog leg, if it's straight, what the camber, the slope of those fairways are, where the, where the bunkering is located, and sort of based on all of those, and the length of the hole, because that obviously has a bearing on, on, on the width or not. And, and I think my aim or our aim is to try and get it so that when the player stands on the tee, they sort of have to think a little bit about, you know, where to hit it. Should I hit a driver? Should I not hit a driver? What's the penalty for doing, hitting a driver versus not hitting it? And I always think and say just every golfer, not just the best players in the world, but if you can make a golfer think, then I think the tendency is you tend to enjoy playing that golf course a lot more than just being standing up and you can hit whatever shot you want without having a think. And that's sort of the reasoning or part of the reasoning that we do it. So width-wise, you know, it could be, you know, 22, 23 yards wide is narrow, but it could be 35, even 40 yards wide. So I don't think there's a set width. I think you've got to take all those factors into consideration um, and then make your best judgment to, again, just, you know, put yourself in that position on that team. You know, what is it that makes you think or not think? And how wide is the appropriate width based on what you visually see off that team? With Harding Park, you talked about moving fairways to you know get the hazards more in play, specifically for this championship. What are some other unique aspects of the golf course that you are going to try or hope to accentuate with your setup? Well, I think the uh, you know it's a beautiful park and golf course. It's relatively flat. It's it's very easy to walk from a player standpoint. So it has just gentle rolls throughout the course. It's highlighted by beautiful California cypress trees that just are stunning to look at, uh, except if your ball hits them and stays in them. But uh, uh, And the entire property is surrounded by a lake, Lake Merced. So visually, there's a lot of beautiful, stunning views. It's, you know, it's only half a mile, although it's not on the ocean, it's only probably half a mile to the Pacific Ocean. So... Uh, in that regard, it's, it's a beautiful golf course, fun golf course to play and an easy golf course to be able to walk. Specifically for the setup, uh, as you say, I think adding some of these tees, uh, we did so for a couple of reasons. You know, one was, you know, to make, uh, provide a longer par three, the eighth hole, uh, maybe 250 yard par three. Previously, you know, it, it, Although it was the longest par three, it was only I think 220 yards or thereabouts. So giving the players a longer par three I thought was important. The other the, the three other par threes are relatively short. In fact, you know, 200 yards or less. So uh, that was part of it. Uh, another fun aspect, the two par fives are probably both reachable, which uh, in itself gives the players some fun and some options to go at it. And there are two relatively short par fours, one on each nine, the uh, seventh hole and 16th hole. So with the setup, probably, you know, one or two days uh, for either or both of those holes, we may look to move the tee out 
again, so that players have that option to, you know, probably go for go for the green. And again, if you do that, you know, the 16th in particular has Leighton said on the left side of the green, and you know, a big cypress tree on the corner of the dog leg uh, to hit at the green. So those factors, as where it is in the round, I think could and hopefully will lead to some great excitement coming down the, to the finish of the major championship. So all those aspects make it fun. And then a couple of the other par fours where we added tees, it sort of brought, made it more of a dog leg on, on one occasion, brought another the cypress trees in and the fairway bunkers into play on, uh, on the 13th hole. So, you know, that, those, those are the sort of things that we're looking at when we look to make additions or changes again hopefully to make the players think, but hopefully to make it a more exciting, fun venue to watch and play. Yeah, the uh, that 16th hole is really neat, how it's got that that narrow kind of angled green also, which it should be a really fun short par four. And just in general, I think, you know, the the most exciting stretch of golf on that golf course happens from about 14 through 18. It really gets into the best prop property on the site and uh, it should lend itself well to, you know, a closing stretch of a major. In terms of your all your experience now doing the setup for, for a number of years, has your personal philosophy changed at all and you know were there moments that made you think differently over the last say decade or so of uh of setting up golf courses uh i think it continues to change yes Andy. i think you always uh but it varies so much on the golf course you know, you don't want to change the golf course and the architecture of the golf course where the championship is being played. Again, I think the philosophy continue has always been to try and bring out what are the fun elements, interesting elements, challenging elements or difficult elements of the golf, any golf course. Um, but, you know, the height of the rough, I think I would say, has probably changed over time. With technology, we've had to certainly adapt to it over the years to, you know, as, as, as far as the players are hitting the ball, um, that certainly changed. In a lot of cases, many of the courses we play have changed over the years as well to adapt to the changing nature of the game. But as we know, with the average driving length now, basically 300 yards for the majority of, of the players who will be playing, then... You know, those landing areas have changed and those courses that the bunkering was at 275 or 280 yards 30 years ago, they, they uh, have been able, in many in some cases, have been able to change and others haven't. But uh, all of those factors uh, make you have to change a little bit your philosophy of how you set it up. But I think the overriding philosophy has and always hopefully continues to be that you're try and make it so that the players are challenged, but in a fair and exciting way. And, you know, everyone who sets up the go any golf course always hopes that you don't go over the top and make it unfair. You want good shots to be rewarded. Uh, in our case, we don't really mind what the winning score is. It's more important that the players enjoy the experience and are challenged by the experience to hopefully show, be able to for them to showcase their skills, and hopefully that 
the best player that week wins, as is usually the case. And it's not just one area of the game that you need to excel at. Yeah, it. I imagine that with that distance, the increase with how far players are hitting it. I mean, Bryson obviously has been a, a hot topic the last since the you know return of golf. Uh, it, with how far he's hitting it, it it just makes that line of that overboard versus just right. Is it? Do you feel like it's gotten thinner and thinner as it as the distances have increased? I think there's a tendency if you've let it to get become that way, but certainly my hope is that we don't allow it to influence what you do. And you should still aim to set it up fairly and as you set it up. And, you know, obviously a big part of it is the speed of the greens and, you know, a big part of what that should be or ought to be is dependent on the green complexes that you're playing. And that varies so so much from venue to venue. Harding Park, I think it's fair to say, are generally uh, not severe greens in terms of slopes. They're sort of gentle slopes, um, you know, which, were, which you know, should allow us to, to get the greens fairly quick. Um, but that's okay. If, if the green complexes allow you to do that, then that's appropriate for the best players in the world. And so long as you're always trying to set up what is appropriate and fair for, for whatever group, even if it's, you know, you're the member guest at a club or a monthly medal, it's, you know, you need to set it up so it's fair, but the players enjoy it. So the philosophy for the best players in the world to others is just, you know, to be reasonable, fair, and use common sense. And that's certainly what we try and do year in, year out. I With the, one of the golf terms I as a golf architecture kind of uh, fan that I always kind of have a adverse reaction to with player when players discuss stuff is fair, the idea of fair, you know, what is fair, what isn't fair. How do you delineate the, the term fair for, you know, tournament golf? We've sort of been touching on it, I think, throughout the discussion. Personally, I think it's so that good shots um, are rewarded with the opportunities to score well. Um, you know, I, 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 that would be, you know, firm greens are okay, but, um, you know, and with the fairways can vary, but it's, it, it's that balance of all of the different factors that go into setting it up is in terms of is what makes it fair or not fair. And, uh, Certainly there is, you know, there's a line there that you need to be careful of. Um, you know, and sometimes things, you know, are out of your control. If the wind does blow at 30 miles an hour and, you know, it's dry and sunny and things get, you know, dry faster than you anticipated and, you know, the day early you didn't put enough moisture into the greens and unfortunately things happen and, you know, all I all I ever say is you try and make your best decisions all every day at the time and use all the information you can that's available to make those decisions. And sometimes Mother Nature can come around and you know hurt you or bite you, but hopefully it's not through you doing something deliberately to try and make it unfair. It would be you know you either had wrong information or didn't quite make the best judgment. So that's how I kind of try and look at it 
for every event, any and all events. And uh, as I say, you're only as good as the next day that your next round that you're setting up because danger can be, <laughs> when, uh, you know, one bad whole location or one bad whatever and uh, nobody ever forgets it. So it's, uh, you're only as good as the next round that you're setting up in this good business. Yeah, that's, that's definitely for sure uh, a, a true statement. Was you've obviously you've your career and uh, you've had great success avoiding the the disaster, and everybody is always praises your setups. Was there ever a, a championship around where you really were nervous that you might be on the edge of something not being okay? And then, and as far as is there a, a tournament? that you look back on and think, God, we really nailed that setup that stands out more so than any other event? Well, that's a great question. And I'd say to the first part of that, I would say um, very often uh, are the cases when, you know, you've got a, you know, churn in your stomach, just hoping, not whole, you know, the wind starting to blow, whatever it is, the rain's pouring down or whatever the issue that you have a knot in your stomach, you know, did, did we set it up correctly and fairly? Um, you know, so uh, I would say, you know, most, most weeks or most events, there's, you know, a hole or a couple of holes where you, you are trying to test the players. You are putting them some things out there to, to, to try and make it challenging and, uh, you know, you, of course, there's concern uh, of how it's received. So, yeah, I'd say, you know, every week, every, every week, um, without doubt, there's always concern of the unknown because you never know what the weather's going to do, what the wind's going to do, and, you know, how, how things have reacted to not putting on as much water or no water. And, uh, uh, you know, that's why I usually lose a bit of weight during the week of a championship for, for that concern and worry. I'm not ashamed to, to say that or embarrassed to say it. It's, uh, you know, it's, I, take the, I take the job very seriously and uh, want to do the best that I can. And anytime you feel that way towards what you do, I think there's always concern. In terms of ever nailing a setup, I, you know, I, in truth, I think that probably the ones that are the most satisfying are those where you have bad weather or, or challenging circumstances and, you know, you get through it somehow. Um, you know, I guess one that springs to mind for the good and the bad would be uh, a Valhalla in 2014 when, uh, you know, we'd had rain Friday and we'd had delays, we'd gone split tees and, I think we played Sunday morning and we ended up um, playing Sunday afternoon and we got back on track. and Sunday and then, night too. Yeah, well, <laughs> and then, you know, at Sunday about 11.30, all of a sudden we had we got a great weather forecast and all of a sudden this big cloud came over us and we had to suspend play and, you know, it absolutely dumped probably, I know, an inch, inch and a half of rain on what was already a saturated golf course. And But then it passed through. It was a very short rainfall, but the, the golf course was totally flooded. And, 
you know, I looked around, drove around. The sun was going to be out the rest of the day. And, you know, most people were kind of saying, well, there's no way we can play. We need to sort of not play. And, you know, it, it was a very tough and difficult decision because it was extremely wet. It was extremely challenging when we immediately st- chose to start playing, but we made um, we collectively made that decision to start playing to give us a chance to finish that night. Now, we needed a lot of things to go right for us to finish that night um, because of the rain, because of you know, what we had to do with all the casual water and the players having to take relief. It meant for slower play, but, you know, made that tough decision. Players went back out. We were, whatever, two, two and a half hours behind schedule. Uh, and ultimately, the players played, and we had what ended up being one of the most exciting, exhilarating finishes to a major championship we've ever had for a lot of reasons, and you know, none of which was the officials or PGA making the players play. They, the last three groups, as you remember, all came up 18 yeah. together, but at any time, had any one of the players said, no, it's too dark to play, we would have stopped playing. Nobody from the PGA was putting pressure on them, but the players wanted to finish. And what ended up being, you know, as I say, a, a great finish to what was a, you know, a very difficult and challenging situation. Um, in that case, we ended up winning. But, you know, a lot of players, certainly early in the way, were not happy that we were playing when it was so wet, even though it wasn't raining, but, but because of the wet conditions. It's it's interesting that you know the one that stands out is the most kind of rewarding is the one that had you faced the most you know challenges to overcome. What types of setup aspects do you feel today really reward good play and allow players to separate themselves? Well, that's a tough question as well. I think again, I go back to all the things we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. I do think if you can set up a golf course to make players have to think what to do. A, I think players much really enjoy playing the game, playing those courses when they make you think uh, and have to make decisions. So, and by doing that, hopefully you set it up, you know, I would say we have some of the, you know, the most difficult hole locations possible on many of the greens, but at the right time and at the appropriate time, you know, put the hole locations in places that uh, allow the players or uh, tempt the players to go out at those hole locations to therefore be able to score well, and go after birdies or eagles. And again, I think of that sort of combination of making, you know, some of the hole locations accessible and, tempting, whereas others may be really difficult and challenging. And, you know, players as great as they are will sometimes go right at the really difficult hole location and still be rewarded, but at the same time may not get into trouble and, you know, drop shots. So it's it's a balance, as I think everything is. And just you and I, when we play, we, we like those challenges. We like the balance. And we all like to be rewarded if you hit good shots uh, or allowed to go at a flag. And I always say, remember guests or, a, you know, a big tournament, how often do you go when every hole location is probably the most difficult on the golf course. 
and kind of look back and, well, how much fun is that? How much do you really enjoy that? And I know some members like to bring their guests and say, well, that course is impossible with all these. But people have so much more fun if, you know, at least, you know, a few of the whole occasions are accessible and they score birdies or they're allowed to attack holes. Yeah, some tough ones as well. That balance, that mix is really what I'm looking to try and find at any event. Yeah, I think I mean variety is so important. You do, you don't want every single pin tuck because you know it's it, you want to see some players have opportunities to get some momentum going too. You know, it's, it's a exactly. big, big part of the game. Uh, you, you think about setup all the time, obviously, and I'm I'm sure that you watch a lot of professional golf. Is there is there a certain thing that every you know year when you're watching when you're you know, it's PGA week and you start, their players are out there playing that, you know, you're always like constantly makes your jaw drop about the best players in the world and how good that they, they, you somehow forget how good they are at something. Yeah, you're right. And that's the great thing about, or the fortunate thing we are in terms of operating and running a major championship is you get to see truly how great the best players in the world are at this game. Their skill level is unbelievable. The amount of work, time, effort, and energy they put into learning and developing their skills is unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I do during during the week. Uh, most of the practice rounds, I really try and make an effort to go and see how the golf course is playing and where they are. The players are choosing to hit their tee shots from and come in from because. You know, all our planning that we've been doing for three years is all based on what we believe they're going to do. But, you know, it's certainly part of the setup and helps me in setting up is seeing during the practice rounds where they are actually hitting it to, how they are looking to play a hole. Um, Based on that, I may adjust things and likely will adjust things come championship rounds based on what I may or may not see on the practice rounds. which again, each, each day, I, yes, I've got a sort of a four-day plan in place, but absolutely during the week, I will change that. We will change that based on the weather, based on how we're seeing the players playing it and uh, you know, based on how the golf course is, is being received and how it's being played. With the PGA Championship, how, how would you say a PGA Championship course is distinct from say a U.S. Open or an Open Championship course. That's um, that too is another good question. You've got a lot of good questions here, Andy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, obviously, we're, we're different. Well, compared to the U.S. Open and the Open Championship, they too sort of rotate and have different courses each year, which we do. Um, in the past, I, I, I answered that question that. You know, with our August date, we were often challenged agronomically, uh, certainly in the Northeast or Midwest with cool season grasses when you've got 90 plus degree temperatures and high humidity. We are certainly limited on you know, green speed and firmness of greens, you know, with often summertime rains, thunderstorms, what have you. So, the way our golf course, I would say probably eight times out of ten in the August day, we, we, we were never able to, to bring 
the golf course to the conditions, for example, that Augusta can do so in April in Georgia when it's 75 degrees or 60 degrees and, you know, yeah, they too get rain occasionally, but not as often as we obviously, you know, I think eight out of 12 times we've had rain delays um, mm-hmm. in August. Now we move to May, I think, you know, that although we've now only had one uh, one championship in May at Beth Page, but that allowed us that the grass, the conditioning was so much healthier in May in the Northeast, Midwest. Uh, than in August. So that will, or it did and will in the future, I think, allow us to, you know, show different conditions and probably more challenging conditions. You're more likely to have wind in May date than we are in the August uh, date, you know, generally speaking around the country. So what I would answer that question differently now than I did with our August date, um, but, uh, you know, I think we all try and do our own. Obviously, Lynx courses at the Open are totally different uh, game to Parkland courses, which are generally what we play. But I'd like to think that we set them up, you know, fairly and interestingly and challenge, you know, to challenge the best players in the world. And, you know, each, each golf course, each architect is different. Um, so we have to sort of work within what those that golf course gives us and hopefully make it fun challenging and you know just as importantly exciting for not only the players but for the spectators and the television if you could have one course to set up say that you haven't had a chance to host a major at yet it could be a future site of yours or it could be any site uh any golf course which what's a a course that you'd love to set up for the best players the best men or women to to play well, I think you're right. I haven't as I would say is probably you know the courses that I've enjoyed playing the most. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many of which or some of which will I'll never be involved probably with having championships at. But you know, I would say you know Royal Dornock in Scotland. I would say Cypress Point, uh, Shinnecock. I'd love to do a championship at Shinnecock. But mm-hmm. um, you know, National Golf Links would be. Wonderful. Uh, you know, any great golf course in the country, Pine Valley. I'm not playing Pine Valley, but just, you know, I've seen it on film and just, you know, the reputation that it has as a, as a fun, exciting, challenging golf course would be fun to set up. Uh, so any course that, uh, you know, is respected as being a great golf course, it w- would be fun to set up for the best players in the world to play, male or female. Do you, does your setup mentality have – does it shift at all when you do the KPMG women's uh, PGA versus the you know men's PGA? Is there anything that you do differently for, for women's golf than men's golf from a setup standpoint? I think other than the obvious, I think that the same philosophy is very much in place mm-hmm. in the, you know, all the things we talked about. Exactly the same for the KPMG and for the KitchenAid Senior PGA. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the, the biggest adjustments are, you know, what tees are we using? What length are we playing the course? What height is the rough? How difficult is it based on, you know, how they're able to um, hit the ball out of the rough and what height rough? Um, 
uh, and what the speed of the greens are. But that, again, is compared to you know, what the greens complexes offer or don't offer. And, uh, you know, you talk about the KitchenAid Senior PGA at Harbour Shores, they have some of the most challenging greens complexes, you know, that I've ever seen. Uh, Jack Nicholas did a beautiful job doing it. When you first see them, you think, wow, these are you some know, crazy greens. Fun and crazy. But the more I've been there and the more I've worked there, the more interesting they are. And so long as you have the green speed right, and, you know, which is probably sort of middle speed, as I like to say, yeah. Uh, you can make it really fun, really interesting, and really exciting and challenging for the best players in the world, the best senior players in the world. So, uh, you know, same for the KPMG and the women's. I think it's bringing out all those factors, making it so that they can play it. It's not too long, not too short. And, uh, yeah, the exact same philosophy, just as it would be for, again, the the club tournament that you play this Saturday at your club. I think the same philosophy, if you if you put it in place, uh, makes a lot of sense. You know, how, how many people like internal out of bounds? So, you know, one of my philosophies is, you know, unless, you know, you absolutely have to, don't have out of bounds. If you find the ball, go and play it. And, uh, you know, some of the greatest stories in golf are from players playing out of strange places. In Bermuda, we had a player in the Grand Slam play out of somebody's uh, backyard, which is what the club do. You know, Seve Ballesteros in the Open Championship played out of the parking lot in Royal Lytham in whatever, 77 or whenever it was there. So, the, uh, th- to Spieth, me, that's fun. Spieth uh, a couple of years ago at Birkdale when he was over in the <laughs> he was like by right. the equipment, the equipment gr- trailers. I, yeah, I thought that was the greatest thing for golf, and I, I know some people said, well, it should be out of bounds, but why? It's part of the golf course, and, you know, he certainly didn't mean to hit it there, but it, that's sort of the fun and the challenge of, well, how, how, how do you get it back to the hole from wherever you hit it? And the more you can do that, again, the more fun, I think, and enjoyable golf is. The comment you made about Harbor Shores, I hadn't really thought about it, but they do have some very severe greens, lots of different tiers that – provide you a lot of flexibility the comment i found interesting was that you know with those greens i feel those types of greens are courses that the more you play the more you understand them and the same went for you with setting up them correct like where you just learn every year you go back a little bit more and have different ideas that come about yeah it did. i said my, my comment was more when i first saw it you know sort of the year beforehand um you know, to, to about not in your stomach. Well, where am I going to put the whole locations that you know all the players aren't going to be all you know up in arms all week about them? But and, and again, that's why I think green speed is so critical. That's appropriate to those slopes on those greens, and by doing what you know I feel was the right speed for those greens, it ma- it makes it a wonderful, great test of golf and a fun test of golf, but. Just looking at the greens, you can take yourself out of com- com- out of the competition before you even start. Just thinking, well, these are too slopey, too severe. But again, if the green speed are right, you can make them beautifully fair and yet challenging, and you've got to hit them into the right spot. I uh, something that I think about, and I haven't ever seen numbers on this that would prove one way or the other, but 
do you do you think a better test is slower greens with more slope in the in the putt or faster greens with less slope? Yeah, another great question, uh, and there's a huge uh, difference of opinion on this. I, I think uh, many good players, most good players, really want to play quick greens. Uh, they feel that's what a golf course should be, and that's how it should be set up. Um, but as you state, or as is obvious, you, you certainly limit the number of hole locations that any green can then offer you based if you have the greens really quick. The alternative is if you have certainly slower greens that you know you don't uh, you don't see very often day in day out on certainly on televised golf. It gives you more opportunities to have a lot more hole locations on greens. And, you know, there's a lot of people would also say that not necess- it's sometimes more difficult to hold putts on slower greens than on quick greens because you've really got to hit the ball a little harder and make more of a stroke as opposed to, you know, trickling a ball on quicker greens. So. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. You can certainly look at the Open Championship where the green speed, they have to keep them at a sort of a more middle speed due to the, you know, the possibility of strong winds and the ball moving on the greens if you get them too quick. So, you know, you look at the putting over there and uh, it's different. Again, there's no right and there's no wrong. Um, I, I'd, I'd love at some point to be able to have our championship of greens that were slow and really put whole locations up into slopes. But I'm not sure we're quite there yet, and that would be certainly a taking away from the norm. Um, I'm not sure we're there yet at a major championship to do it, but you never know. The philosophies change and things change over time. But uh, It would be interesting to see if you had, you know, greens... If you look in the history books up until, uh, you know, the 50s or 60s, greens were seven or eight on the stimp meter and very slow. And uh, yeah, it's sort of in some ways it'd be fun to go back and see, you know, what that would look like today. We'd certainly have healthier grass and more whole locations and healthier greens uh, throughout the country if everyone did that. Yeah, and uh, some it might push some clubs to save some money and not redo the really cool severe green on their property that uh, that everybody complains about the ball rolling off of when you could just mow the grass a little higher, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. I want to get you out of here, but with uh, a couple, you know, lighter questions on on the back end here. What uh, what what feature, I guess, about Harding Park? Should uh, viewers is one thing that you would love viewers to pay attention for, or you know notice that you know you might think it's a little subtle or not easy to discern. What was one thing that you would point out to them to to pay attention to? Probably the uh, shorter par fours, um, you know, and the potential interest and excitement there. I'm not sure it's not necessarily subtle, but it's. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be fun to see. And 16, I think, will be because, again, you've got the cypress tree sort of right on line to the hole, unless you want to hit a fade into the green. But you've got Lake Merced on the left of the hole. So if 
if it doesn't fade and if you're hitting it straight or you hook it, you're in the lake, in the set, potentially hitting a driver. So, and, and that compared to the player that chooses not to take it on, lays up to 100 or whatever his best yardage is, wedges in, gets a birdie, and just that thought process, uh, even up from the back tee, I think it's only 3.30 from the back tee, so... Uh, as the dog legs, so that the, the straight carry, the, the play, some number of players may, may well go for it from the back of the back to even before we move it up a few yards. So just how that plays, I think, will be fun to watch every, every round, both from the back tee and if we move it up a tee. And obviously, you're not on the ground yet. You're going there shortly after, uh, you know, in a day or two. And you have no clue what the weather's going to be. Can we get a, a prediction for winning score from you? <laughs> well, no. I, to me, that that doesn't matter. I think it's whatever the best players want it to be, and hopefully, we set it up. I think if there's no win, they'll certainly score well uh, because they're the best players in the world. I would hope that if you give the best players in the world good conditions with no win. They should score well. So, uh, but if we get a 20, 30 mile an hour win one or more of the days, then just like any golf course, it's going to be tough. It'll be it'll be challenging. But I think I, I'm more hopeful that the players enjoy the test, enjoy the challenge. Uh, hopefully, there's lots of birdies, some eagles, and bogeys and double bogeys that make it exciting and fun to watch and, and fun for the players and the caddies to play because that ultimately is, it, if that's the case, I always say, it, I always want people to come away from there saying, wow, that was sort of fun and I enjoyed playing it. Even if I didn't play well, it was a good challenge and it was there and yeah, I didn't play well, but that's okay. It was a fun week. Ultimately, that's our aim. Despite all that's going on in the world, uh, that would be our aim as the players and caddies leave Harding Park. Great. Thanks so much for the time, Kerry, and uh, really looking forward to watching uh, the PGA in, in a couple of weeks here. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I look forward to it too and uh, hope everyone enjoys enjoys watching the championship and uh, hope we have a three-hole playoff uh, to determine the winner. 